Well, hello, friends. If I haven't met you before, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ the King. And before we get started, I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to say, Go Hawks. <laughs> the Lord's chosen team. <laughs> Won't he do it? So quick question, how many of you guys ever wore WWJD bracelets? How many of you know what WWJD bracelets are? So, so not to brag or anything, but I got one of these bad boys on Amazon, $5.99, got a great deal this, this week, and I've just been thinking about this question. Does anybody know what it stands for? Can you tell me what WWJD stands for? What would Jesus do? And it sounds so good when you say it. Like, like this question feels so helpful, doesn't it? It's nice. The only problem with the question is that the answer to the question isn't always what you think it's going to be. Because Jesus isn't as one-dimensional as we like to make him. He's not the guy from the flannel graph in your Sunday school. He's not the dude who looks like Fabio holding the sheep in those pictures with this ethereal glow. He's not all free hugs and peace signs and turning water into wine. As it turns out, Jesus actually had a backbone. As it turns out, Jesus stood up to bullies, and he spoke truth to power, and he didn't shy away from confrontation, and he moved towards people's pain, and he got all up in people's business, even when it made things awkward. And I'm not here today talking about the sanitized version of Jesus. I'm not here talking about the caricature of Jesus. I'm talking about a table-flipping, enemy-loving Jesus who said to follow him, it means to die to yourself. I'm talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the first and the last and the author and perfecter of our faith. And even right now as we sit here, he is sitting on the right hand of the throne, ruling and reigning over every power and every principality. So this, this question, what would Jesus do? It sounds nice, but the reality is, is that the answer might be a whole lot more radical than you think it is. I heard this story a while back. Maybe you've heard it before, but there was a mom who was making pancakes for her two little boys. And the brothers start fighting over who should get the first pancake. I like this because this is, this is my house pretty much every morning. And the mom's resourceful. She sees an opportunity to teach her boys a life lesson. So she says, boys, if Jesus was here, he'd say, my brother can have the first pancake. Without hesitation, the five-year-old grabs the first pancake, looks at the three-year-old, says, good, you be Jesus. <laughs> I like that. You be Jesus. You know, it sounds like something I'd say because I love the question, what would Jesus do? Right up until the moment that what Jesus would do doesn't align with what I want him to do or what I want to do. Got quiet in here. Because there's this tension that we all deal with. We all want this world where the poor get served and the hungry get fed. The problem is that there's a gap between the world that we want and how much of ourselves we're willing to give to the world. And this question, what would Jesus do, has to do with that gap. It's saying how much of what you want and how much of your intentions are you willing to actualize like I did? How far are you willing to go to really love people, what would Jesus do? And right now we're in the middle of a series called The Table. It's all about making space for people. You saw it in the bumper video. We literally just pulled up shop and we 
offered people free coffee and we just saw what happened when genuine connection is offered. And what's really remarkable is just how open people were to it. I wasn't even in the filming process, but I just had all these conversations just because we put ourselves out there. Didn't know what would happen, but what would happen if we just extended a hand? And the idea, it sounds great on paper. It's like, yes, let's put another chair around the table. Let's invite some people into our lives. It's like this fun challenge to grab more coffee with more people and find new ways to be a blessing in the world. But it's not as simple as it might seem on the surface. Because this series isn't just about intentionality, friends. It's about sacrifice. It's about what are you willing to give up so that other people can have space at the table of your life. It's about asking the question, am I willing to completely reorient my life and make decisions on paper that make absolutely no sense so that people can see the love of Christ dripping off of my life? Friends, it might not sound crazy on the surface, but at its core, this idea, the table, is a radical invitation to change the foundational priorities of your life, to say less of me and more of you, God, so that people can see you literally through how I move through this world. Today, we're going to look at a story where Jesus makes space. He makes room for somebody who's nothing like him. And the question that, that you get to wrestle with and I get to wrestle with today is, will I do the same? Will I do the same or will I just continue to be the recipient of God's grace or will I be a conduit of God's grace? But before we get into it, I want to pray for us, Holy Spirit. God, I thank you that you invite us not just to know you, but to be changed by you. God, that you've called us individually and collectively, God, not just to study the word of God, but enact it in our lives. And I'm, God, I just feel this, this growing desire, God, in my heart for myself and for my people here, God, and online, God, to actually be known not for what they know, but for what they do and how they operate and how they reflect you in this world. God, we're not here worshiping a caricature we are here uh, with, with open hearts and open minds asking what would jesus really do and what does that mean for my life what does it look like for me to pull out a chair god even if it means sacrificing what i feel like in a moment god would you change our minds would you help us make different and new decisions that we've never made before so that our lives can start to look like yours give us boldness Make us strong, make us wise, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you have for us. And all God's people said, amen. amen and amen. So today we're going to be in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. If you've got a Bible or an app, you can read along. If not, it's going to be up on the screen for you. I'm going to start reading. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, come down. Remember those words. He says, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter. He's gone to be a guest of a sinner. 
But Zacchaeus stands up and he says to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, which is Jesus talking about himself, came to seek and save the lost. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. Man, I love this story. And if you've been church or around church for a while, you've probably heard this story before. You probably know about the wee little man named Zacchaeus. If you grew up in church, you might even know the song. You might know how all of those pieces fit together, and you might know it inside and out. But what I've always thought was fascinating about this story is the details that Luke chooses to include. When you're reading a story, when you're in scripture, you have to like actually notice the details because they're not random at all. They're specific and they're actually meant to communicate something to us. And so when we look at this story, we have to say, Luke, what are you telling us about Zacchaeus? And he really wants you to know three things. He says he's a chief tax collector. So this means he works for the IRS or the equivalent of he's a government payroll kind of a guy and he's not doing the grunt work. He is the tax collector's boss's 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 boss. So he's not just a tax collector. He is a tax collector among tax collectors. He has a whole plethora of tax collectors who are out doing his dirty bidding and he gets to line his pockets every single step of the way. He's a chief tax collector. Second thing it says is he's wealthy. So Zacchaeus is rich, and I know rich is a relative term, but if the Bible says you're rich, you're rich. Like, you are rich, you are wealthy, there's no questions about it. In the words of the great theologian Snoop Dogg, my boy Zacchaeus had his mind on his money, and his money on his mind. <laughs> Last detail, it says he's short, and I looked up the, the word in the original Greek, and it turns out it means short. That, that's what it means. He's small in stature. He's vertically challenged. He is not a big guy. And, and I've always wondered, like, why, Luke, do we need to know that Zacchaeus is short? What does that help us understand about who you are? And, and I'm here, and the more I've sat with this story, the more I'm convinced that it's not so that we can look down on Zacchaeus. It's actually so that we can find ourselves in him. So that we can find ourselves in this story. Because the reality is you might not be short in stature. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. But, but here's what I know. I can guarantee you every single person listening to this has areas and places and spaces in your life where you have come up short. I, I guarantee that all of us have things about ourselves that we are insecure about, that we feel somehow less than, that we feel like we are not enough, that we have let people down and not lived up to our own expectations or other expectations for ourselves. And this is something we all have in common. It doesn't matter how successful or beautiful you look on the outside. Every one of us has places and spaces in our lives where we feel short. And this story really speaks to those places of our life. Not just the places where we stand tall, but the places where we come up short. Scripture says Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but he couldn't because he was short. He couldn't see over the crowd, so he goes ahead and he climbs a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So, so, so it tells us Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, but when Jesus walks by, much to Zacchaeus' surprise, he doesn't just see Jesus, Jesus actually sees him. 
And maybe you're in a position, you just kind of snuck in and you are at an arm's length and you're just like, hey man, I'm just here to, 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 to get a glimpse of Jesus. And I want you to know if that's you today, you're not the only one searching. Jesus is actually searching for you. Jesus actually knows your name. He gets to the bottom of this tree. There's this short tax collector up there. He doesn't say, hey, short tax collector, man. He says, Zacchaeus. So not only does he see you, not only does he notice you, not only is he looking for you, he knows your name. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. He says, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And this might just be the way that I read it, but like I, I imagine Zacchaeus is pumped about this. I, in my reading of the story, he's singing Everything is Awesome from the Lego movie. Like he's thinking, this is amazing. I'm amazing. Of course, Jesus picked me. I'm rich. I'm a boss. Let's have some fun. And he comes down from the tree and scripture says that he excitedly welcomes Jesus. Welcomes him gladly. And while he welcomes Jesus gladly, Luke says that the people around them start to mutter. Who's surprised by that? Muttering Christians, right? This is a shocker. But in this context, I don't really blame them. I think I would have been with them. I would have been muttering about this one. Because friends, people like you and people like me, we like the Jesus that serves the poor and the marginalized. We like the Jesus that helps old ladies across the street and turns water into the wine, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, yes, that's the guy that I'm into, but here's my question. What do we do with the Jesus who out of an entire crowd of respectable people chooses to get, town, or to, to get dinner with the town bully? What do we do in, in a sea of people who have all been hurt when Jesus actually figures out who am I going to acknowledge, who am I going to associate myself with, actually goes to the one who's caused the most pain? What do we do with the Jesus who makes space at the table, not just for the oppressed, but for the oppressor? What do we do when what Jesus does doesn't line up with what we want him to do or think he should do? And I think just underneath the surface is a question for you and me. What do we do and do we trust Jesus enough to follow him even when he does things that we don't agree with or understand? It is our trust in Jesus is our trust in his word enough to actually overcome the space when we don't understand what he's doing? Can we assume positive intent or are we just going to be people that mutter? They muttered. And while they're muttering, Zacchaeus is walking with Jesus. And the story doesn't tell us exactly what Jesus says. I kind of wish it did. I wish it came with the transcript and then Jesus said and then Zacchaeus said and we could walk ourselves through it and we could make a lesson plan and be like, hey, this is how you approach people who are tax collectors and people like that. This is what Jesus did. So here is our philosophy. Here's our mission. Here's how we're going to accomplish it. Let's go out and take our three-step approach to evangelism to the streets. But that's not what it does. It actually leaves it up to our imagination. It just says in verse seven, the people muttered and in verse eight, Zacchaeus is standing up joyfully giving away everything he'd worked his whole life to accumulate. He gives away his power. He gives away his position. He gives away his money that he has spent a lifetime accruing. And I love this story because all it takes is one meal with Jesus and everything in Zacchaeus' life changes. One meal. 
Uh, I'll say it a different way. Zacchaeus is literally brought to his feet. He's standing because of one dinner with Jesus. We don't know how long it lasted. It might have been an hour, it might have been two, it might have been three, it might have been four. We don't know. But here's what we do know. A few moments with God in the flesh leads Zacchaeus to say, I'm out. I'm done chasing all the things I was chasing. I'm changing everything, and I'm going all in on you, Jesus. One day, one afternoon, one moment with Jesus, and Zacchaeus says, I'm all in, Lord. Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. I love that phrase, here and now, because what we have a tendency to do is we'll say, all right, Lord, you revealed yourself. Now I'm going to spend some time really considering what? life change might look like for me. Lord, I'm going to bring this to you. I'm going to pray about maybe someday in the future, possibly, uh, potentially giving a little bit more of myself, Lord. That's, that's what you've done for me here today. You have made such a compelling argument that I am going to respectfully think about it. He doesn't think about it. He says, here and now, because of what I've seen in this man, I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay him four times the amount. I don't know if you're a math person, but if you just think about the numbers, if you work this thing out, he's just not signing up for a moment of generosity. He is signing up for a lifetime paying back those who has cheated. He's saying, I'm not just going to take this moment to be generous. I am literally going to spend the rest of my life giving back to the people and being a benefit to the people that I've broken before. God, I'm changing everything because of one meal with you. Why? Friends, I'll tell you why. It's because Zacchaeus met a man, not an idea, not an ideal, not a list of rules, but God in the flesh. I need you to hear this. People don't change their entire lives because they meet a moral ethic. They don't change their lives because they meet a set of rules. They change their lives when they meet the person of Jesus. Amen? When they meet God in the flesh and they see his extravagant love. I don't know what Jesus said, but I know what he didn't say. He said, Zacchaeus, I'm glad. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad we get this time together because really what I wanted to do is just start at the beginning and we're just going to go through all the places that you, that you came up short, bud. We're just going to work our way through this and then Zacchaeus eventually sees how wrong he was and he's like, man, I got to... That, that's not what motivates humans. Friends, people aren't changed when they're convinced that they're wrong. People are changed when they're convinced that they're loved. And that's what Jesus did. He, through his presence, just brought something that just allowed generosity to flow because that's the only response that Zacchaeus could have. And here's the good news, friends. This isn't just Zacchaeus' story. This is our story, too. Because, friends, the Bible says while we were enemies of God, Jesus came to the tree where we were hiding, and he said, it's time for you to come down. I, I don't know if you've been hiding behind money or, or wealth or your, your authority or your position or your uh, good looks or your charm. I don't know what it is that you're hiding behind, but Jesus today is at the tree that you're hiding in, and he's saying, will you come 
down. The good news of this story is that before Jesus ever invites you to make space for others, he makes space for you. He sets a table for you, and let me tell you about that table. He sets a table for you even when you are at your worst. I, I don't know who needs to hear this today, but somebody needs to hear that Jesus isn't just interested in the parts of your life that you show off on Instagram. He's making space for the places in your life where you carry the most shame. He's making spaces for not only the good decisions, but the bad decisions and the secrets that you haven't told anybody else. He says, I have space for that at the table. The fact that Jesus goes out of this whole crowd of people to Zacchaeus, the worst out of them, says that he's going to the worst place in our life and saying, will you come down and will you sit with me at the table? Jesus makes a table for you even when you try to hide. Maybe you spent your life hiding behind just striving and success and Jesus is just kindly at the tree of your life and he's saying, will you come down? Will you stop pretending to be more impressive than you really think that you are in your heart of hearts? Will you come down from your striving and your perfectionism and your do-gooding? Will you come down? I'm not impressed by who you pretend to be. I'm impressed by who you really are and there's space for that right here at the table today. Jesus sets the table, even in your hardest moments. One of my favorite verses to go to when I feel surrounded is Psalm 23. It says in verses 4 and 5, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Then it says this, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Which I always thought was odd. Why wouldn't he prepare a table for me in the presence of my friends. But what this is saying is, even in your darkest moment, God is not far. He's closer than your breath. And this is how Jesus likes to work. He doesn't always pull us out of life's hard moments. He likes to enter into them with us. He says, I'm going to prepare a table right here, even in the presence of your enemy, even in the presence of your problems, even in the presence of your addiction, even in the presence of whatever it is that you face, even if the enemy that he's talking about is staring right back at you in the mirror. He says, I'm setting up shop here. You have a table setting ready for you. Will you come to the table today? Friends, I'm here today to tell you that Jesus has prepared a table for you. And it's not just for the best parts of you. That would be okay news, but that's not good news. The good news, my friends, is that this table is not just for the problem solver in you. It's for the problem. It's not just for the wounded parts of you. It's actually for the parts of you that have fallen short and wounded others. That's the type of table that we're talking about. God says there's space for all of you. I'm not surprised. And I'm saying, will you come to the table? today and like every good gift from God it comes with an invitation not just to receive it but to give it it says freely we have received now freely we will give Jesus says will you partner with you I've made space I've made room for you now will you make room for others what does that look like friends I'll tell you what it looks like it looks like opening your table here's the invitation and not expecting anything in return. You know, the love that transforms Zacchaeus 
It isn't a transactional love that we like to think about in, in dating or relationships or even friendships. It's not a you do this and then I'll do this. It's this agape love. It's God's love. It's this love that is flowing perfectly and there's nothing that you can do to stop the flow of that love on your life. That's the transformative kind of love. And Jesus is saying, if you want to show the world something else, don't do this transactional thing. Just show them what it looks like to love and expect nothing in return. Matthew 5, 46 says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? Jesus says, the love I'm calling you to isn't like anything in this world, I'm inviting you to love with no strings attached. Because here's the secrets, my friend. The moment where there's strings attached, it's not actually love. We're called to this agape love. And when we love people, we don't do it because we're good. We do it because we've been loved. And when we serve people, we don't do it because we're trying to pad our resume. We do it because we've been served. And when we actually get invited, we don't invite people because we feel like that's what we should do. We do it because we have been invited to this party that we never deserved to be at. We're like, man, I just got to find some other people to tell because I don't deserve to be here. There's nothing that I can do to actually stand on and say, this is my place because of what I've done. And when we see the grace of God, we just have to, hey, you got to come here. you got to check out this table. It's big enough for not just the good parts of you, but for the bad too. And God has covered all of it. He says, come to the table. Amen. He says, will you open your table to people who are different than you? I'll be honest, my fear with this series is that you'll go home and you'll say, man, that was some great content. Pastor Grant and that other guy were totally right. Like, <laughs> Like, I need to start inviting some, some people to my table. Like, like, this is the perfect word for me right now because, like, I, I feel like I'm a little lonely. Maybe I got to start up poker night again. Like, I got I to gotta get people around me. Like, if that's what you're doing, that's great. Do it. Like, love the people that are around you. But here's the invitation. Love the people who aren't like you. You want to show the world something different, something extravagant, something radical? It's not just staying in the same flow that you always have and just being more intentional. It's actually sacrificing to bring in people who are nothing like you so that God can get all of the glory because we just acknowledge through that action in our lives that what we share in God is so much bigger than anything that we differ on. Amen? He says, will you love people who don't look like you, who don't act like you, who don't think like you, who don't vote like you, who don't even believe like you? That is what is going to show the world the true love of our God. Will you open your table to people who are different? Next one, will you open your table so that people can meet Jesus? I want you to know we're not setting the table just for a meal. We're setting the table for a meeting with the man of Jesus which means that we're not trying to change people's minds, we're just trying to show them love because when we show them love, they can see a glimpse of who Jesus is. This isn't just an invitation to host, it's an invitation to show people through your life that they matter, that they're loved, that they are seen, and that they are wanted here. Because here's the reality, I'll do this last one finally, will you open your table and get to work? Because here's the thing about the table, this is a great idea, but it's not just going to happen. It's not just going to be this thing that we can pray about. It's the thing that we actually have to move into the world and start inviting people because people don't come just because there's space for them. People come when they are invited. And to take it a step beyond that, not just when they're invited, but when they're wanted. 
Because here's the thing, you can invite people and you can just be like, oh, well, he said at church that I've got to invite people, so yeah, yeah, you got to come over here. But people will see through that so quick. People are not as dumb as we think they are. They will spot that a mile away. You actually have to want people there. And when you want people there, people will start to come. People will extend an invitation back to you and say, yes, I would love to sit at the table with you. It means asking God, would you not just increase the space at my table? Would you increase my heart for people? Will you help me to actually show up for people when they need help and make time for people even when we're busy and actually listen to people when they speak and to get off my phone, put it back in the pocket and actually look at them in the eyes and say, you matter and I want you here. Friends, there's no shortcuts when it comes to making people feel loved. You actually have to love the person who's standing in front of you. I've shared this quote before, but I think it's so important. People will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people never forget how you made them feel. It's Maya Angelou. So if you want people at your table, it's not just about building a bigger table. It's not just about inviting people. It's about stirring up. God, would you stir up in my heart a genuine affection for people? Well, would I want to be around people who are like me and people who are nothing like me? Friends, we've got to get to work. We've got to grow our capacity to love people. We've got to pray that God would give us a heart that pulls us out of our comfort zones and in people's pain. We've got to say, Lord, help me to show up for people when it's convenient and even when it's not. And scripture says, if we do this, if we put in the hard work of loving people, it actually says that's the best life that there is. I want to close with this last scripture. It says in Luke 10, on one occasion, an expert in the law saw or stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. And then here it is right here. It says, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. So what are we doing? We're actually loving people. We're not thinking about people. We are loving, proactively finding ways to bless People. And if we do this, if we bless our neighbors, if we pour out our lives for others, it says, you do this and you will live. So why does this statement matter? It matters because in church we talk way so much about what Jesus tells us to do. We talk about loving people and loving God. We talk about morality and the difference between right and wrong. But one of the things I don't think we talk enough about is why we do what we've been called to. Jesus tells us, love your neighbor, great, but why is my question? And it says, do this and you will live. And the word live is the word I want you to notice because there's a couple translations that I think help us out to understand really what he's getting at here. It means more than just live. It doesn't mean that you're going to die if you don't love your neighbor. That's not it. It's saying that if you want to live, which means if you want wholeness, if you want joy, if you want lightness, one translation of live is actually sparkle. If you want sparkle in your life, if you want to be a reflector, you got to love people. You got to be in the trenches with people. You got to love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you will live. This is the invitation, not just to life, but the abundant life of Christ. He's saying there's, there's, there's connection that you can't have from the couch. You actually have to do it through loving people and getting out in the world and getting in the mess. He's saying there's purpose and meaning and connection and relationship and joy that you open yourselves up to when you spend your life looking for ways to love and bless others.
Jesus says there's a blessing when we pour ourselves out. There's a blessing when we open up the tables of our lives. He says, do this and you will live. Friends, according to Jesus, the life spent loving your neighbor is the best life there is. He's not saying, if you don't do this, like something bad is going to happen to you. He's saying that if you do the hard work of loving the person in front of you, I promise you, that's the best, most rich, fulfilling life that you long for that you can live. When you choose not to do what feels good in the moment, but what you feel called to. When you serve, when you bless, when you pour out your life as a sacrifice for others, this is the best life there is. Do this and you will live. Is it hard? Yes. Is it frustrating? Absolutely. Because after all, you have to deal with people. And I don't know if you've met people, but they're difficult, they're awkward, they're needy, they're messy, just like you. And just like me. But my friends, if we take the time to love them, if we take the time to serve them without expecting anything in return, if we take the time to make the decision to say no more than we say yes and actually open up the door for saying yes to others, that's the best life there is. It's not clean, it's not easy, but it is rich, and it's the life you were created for. Do this and you will live. So what would Jesus do? He would do that. He would choose the hard thing, not the easy thing. He would choose to pour himself out, not to isolate himself in a life of comfort. So what does it look like for us to find the first person we can find, not say, I'll do this later, but to say, here and now, I give everything that I have to you, God. I am all in. Let me pray for you, Holy Spirit. God, move in our hearts, move in our minds. Let this not be just something we hear and just let slip out the other side of our heads, God. We just pray that you would send us out, God. You would, you would equip us, God. We know that you prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies, God. Would you help us to extend the same blessing that we've received to the world? Will we be known for our love? We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. So we're going to respond. Will you stand with me? We're going to sing one final song that's called Make Room. This whole series is about making room. So this is an opportunity for you to candidly say, God, will you help me to find space for you and for other people? Let's worship.